If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. It's on page 497 of the Pew Bible. Psalm 91. It says this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find a refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks that we can come to you and learn from you. And you are our help and our strength. And I pray that you would just be with us today as we look at your word, that you would just open it up to us. Teach us from your word, encourage us in your word, and just give us grace. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. Shakespeare wrote that from the play Macbeth which my English teacher, Mrs. Elliott, would be thrilled to know. I rediscovered that this week as we, uh, she made us read Macbeth in high school. Each new morn, new widows howl. New orphans cry. New sorrows strike heaven on the face. Psalm 91 is a powerful and it's a loved psalm. It's actually a song. It's a song to help us sing, to grow in our trust in God. And it's a great song of promise. I mean, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers in the 1800s, said, In the whole collection, there is not a more cheering song. Its tone is elevated and sustained throughout faith. It is at its best and speaks nobly. But the question is, how can this be? If Shakespeare's quote is true, which it is, how can it be that when you read Psalm 91 and all the great things that it says about it, and then we look at life and we hear this great sentence by Shakespeare that it's true every new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, and new sorrows strike heaven on the face, even for Christians. So how do we, are we supposed to understand and read Psalm 91? I mean, we, we can read it really nostalgic-like, and that'd be it. 
That's not what it's there for. How are we supposed to understand Psalm 91 and what is it that we're supposed to learn? What is the great promise that it is for us? A number of years ago, I was at the park in Salmonach. And a guy came up to me who I've known for a long time. He was just going through a lot of things. His, uh, one of his children had a, a terrible diagnosis happen to him, to them, and he's talking to me about this, and he's sharing it with me, and he's telling me what's going on. And then he says to me, Paul, why would God do that? He's a Christian. He goes, Paul, why, why, why would God do that? And I knew him very well. And underlying his statement, it wasn't just this question of, in that moment, it wasn't just this question of, why would God allow this to happen to my child? The underlying question was, that he was tinkering with is, Paul, if I'm suffering like this, something about God is untrue. That's what he was really asking. He was really struggling with, is Psalm 91 true? How, how, how can I read Psalm 91 and how can this be, be true? Well, look at all the great things it says. How, how can this be true if what I'm suffering is not what Psalm 91 says? If the massively important things of our lives are messed with, is really what he was saying. He's saying, Paul, well, why would God do this to me? Because his children are a massively important thing to him. And if the massively important things of our life are being messed with, then can God really be trusted? That's the question. Because children are massively important. There are a lot of massively important things in our lives. But then how can this be true? If God says what he says in Psalm 91, and then we have massively devastating things happen to massively important things in our lives. A couple weeks ago, a number of us were over with Tommy's gift in Plano, helping a single mom just do some major cleanup around her house. And I got there about an hour after it started, and Jeff Futrell was there, and so I, I said, what do you need me to do? And Jeff said, hey, you can help me. And so this fence, this privacy fence around her yard had been basically torn down in um, many places. And it's, a, it's not the exact same fence, but it's a similar one. It looked just like that and even worse. And so I, I am not a construction guy. Jeff, Jeff is a master carpenter. And so he does this amazing thing. He goes, go, go grab some two-by-fours. And we grab some two-by-fours. And he cut some shims out of these two-by-fours. And we drove them into the fence posts. And eventually we, we fixed the ones that could be fixed. And we replaced the ones that couldn't be replaced. That's what I want this message to be for us this morning. For some of you, the question of your life as we've talked about the word of God, sin, and Satan this whole summer, and now all those things I think in some ways culminate with this idea of well, how can we trust God in our sufferings? When we ask ourselves that maybe you would never say to somebody, why would God do that? Why would God do that to the most massively important thing in my life? What, what I want us to do this morning, and I hope Psalm 91 will be for you when we're done, 
will be your Christian and maybe your fence post of faith is kind of fading a little bit. I, I hope this will be a strong shim for you to stake it into the ground and make it a lot stronger, some concrete to pour into your faith and to strengthen for us as a church and for you as an individual the foundation of your faith. Psalm 91 is, can be broken down for us and look in three ways. Where we are surrounded by hurt, what's the source of help? We're going to see a little hurdle that we're going to have to overcome. And what's some specific help that we need? First of all, verses 1 and 2, we are surrounded by hurt. It starts out with, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That sentence is almost like this is the theme of this psalm. This is the theme, and then everything else is almost like three different speakers we'll see are talking about. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, with just, which um, implies that there's some trouble. You wouldn't need a shelter. You wouldn't need a shadow of the Almighty if we weren't surrounded by trouble. Life is hard. And there, there's nothing wrong with saying that life is hard. Even as Christians, we, we can admit, and we should be able to admit, that life is hard. We, we know this. It's not wrong to say this. We, we know this by all the horrible stories that we hear. We hear about death. We hear about financial issues. We hear about health issues. We hear about relational issues. You're not going to get through life without being affected by those things. We hear all these horrible stories. We know life is hard because of all the many GoFundMe pages that come up on a regular basis. Eight billion dollars since 2008 or 2009 since GoFundMe has started has been raised for horrific needs and different struggles that people have in a very difficult and hard life. We know life is hard and we're surrounded by hurt because our bodies feel it in every morning when your alarm goes off. You feel the hardness of life. If life wasn't hard when your alarm went off at 6 or 5 or 4 in the morning, you would jump out of bed and say, let's go. But even if you're having a good day when your alarm goes off, we don't do that, do we? We, we hit it and we crawl out of bed and we work ourselves into it because we know. We know that life is hard and all of these things stir up concerns, anxieties, and cares for us. I was with a lady an older lady visiting her in her house, and we were just talking about life and um, talking about things and kids, and as your kids get older, and I, and I said something about fear and worry, and she goes, um, you know why you do that, right, Paul? And I'm like, because it's wrong? And she goes, no. She goes, no, because you know what can happen. Isn't that true? When you're young, you don't think anything bad can happen to you. You, you think you're, you are superhuman. You, you can't get hurt by anything. Nothing, nothing scares you. You're not afraid of anything. But the older you get, the reason that many of you worry about your kids and your grandkids is because you know what can happen, and you know it does happen. People do die. Tragic accidents do happen. We know this, and we're surrounded by, by hurt, which is not at all what it sounds like life should be like from Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We are surrounded by all this stuff, and so we are concerned about it because we know it can happen for us. So what's the source of hope, which is really what the promise of Psalm 91 
is all about. And it's just this joyful song of, hey, here's the source of hope for us. And he spends the next almost six to eight verses saying, hey, this is, her- this is the source of hope for you. And he says, it's God. He says, God's the source of hope for us. God is our source. He gives four names of God in this passage. He says, the, the, the Most High is our refuge, the Almighty, the Lord. And then he says, at the bottom of verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And any time in the Old Testament where it's my God, it's talking about just this covenant relationship that God had with his people, the nation of Israel. They were his people. Which means to get the hope or to know the source of hope is you have to have a relationship with God. There, there is a relationship you need with God through Jesus Christ, but the hope First is God, but then he says, it's most high God, the almighty God, the Lord, my God. And then he gives four metaphors of how this help and the source of hope comes from. He calls God, he says, he dwells in the shelter of the most high. I mean, if you were out at the fair at all this week, most of the time you needed some kind of shelter. I mean, if somebody was selling umbrellas out there, they would have made a lot of money this week. Because we wanted to be sheltered from the sun, the rain. That's how he describes it. He calls God this shadow. Or really the shade, which doesn't mean too much for us right now, but if we lived back in the time of the nation of Israel, it's a hot, arid country, getting some shade is very important for us. And he says, this is, this is the source of help. God is almighty. He's a shelter to you. He's a shadow. He's a refuge for us. And he is a fortress that we are under his wings. And that's the biggest one. He talks about God as this mother bird who is sheltering us under his wings, making us very secure, which is how the Bible describes God in numerous places. It's just this protective mother bird who has his children. Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 51 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge, and the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. Psalm 61, 4 says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Our, our source of hope is God, and then this psalm just explains it. Just, this is, he's, he's a shelter for you. He's a shadow. He's, he's shade for you. He's a refuge for you. He's a fortress for you. He's like a mother bird who just put protective care of his children and we're under his rings. And it just continues to go on in Psalm 91. I mean, it doesn't just stop there. That's pretty fascinating already. But he goes on and he says, hey, listen, because of all this, this is where it gets really interesting. He says, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place. He says, there's no plagues or diseases that are going to come to you is what it says. He says, no evil shall befall you. No, no danger is going to get you. And no pestilence is going to get you. You're, you're going to be safe. For he will command his angels concerning you. So much will you be safe, he says, that you will tread on the lion and the adder. The angels are going to bear you up. And you're not even going to strike your foot against a stone. 
You're not even going to stub your toe, is what the psalm says. Is that our experience? How are we supposed to, under, how are we supposed to read Psalm 91? How are we supposed to say that this is true and this is, what God, this is the source of hope that he, that he gives us? How is this true for us? How is this helpful for us? You can try to read it that way. You could take Psalm 91 and say, hey, this is what God says, so nothing bad should ever happen to me. And if something bad happens to me, then God is not right. We want to read it that way, don't we? We would love for this to be true. But we can either just skip over it and say, I don't understand it. We can figure out, what does he mean then? How does he want us to understand Psalm 91? And there is a subtle hurdle then that you have to overcome to understand Psalm 91. One, because here's the problem. You can look at your life. You can have all your circumstances happen to you. And if you don't, if you read this wrong, if we misunderstand it, there is great danger that will take place for us as a church and for individuals. That we will have two ditches that we will go in. If you think that I'm just going to take this to be the way it is, and if that's not the way my life works out, something's wrong with God. And you can live your life a very long time without having major bad things happen to you. But the danger is this. You're either going to get very bitter with God and fall off into that ditch, or you're going to get spiritually broken and fall off in the other ditch. You, you will get bitter with God when you think God's supposed to do everything I ask him to do and nothing wrong or nothing should happen to the massively important things in my life. And when they do, if you don't have a solid footing of faith and understanding of Scripture and understanding of who God is, you're going to get very bitter and you're going to say, God, I, I, I had that and you took it away from me. Or, God, I wanted this, and you didn't give it to me. Or you're going to fall off on the other side, which is just to be spiritually broken. And you will maybe just go through the motions for years. You show up at church. You pick up a Bible. But you are so spiritually broken that you just you can't operate spiritually. You can't function. You're not serving and helping and learning and growing in God. Those are two serious dangers we want to watch out for. So how, how do we, should we understand this? One is we have to see the whole context of Scripture when we read the Bible. If you, read, if you just read Psalm 91, you would say, this is great. God, there's nothing bad that's ever going to happen to me. But then when you look at also just another chapter, a book over, which is the book of Job, which is also in the wisdom literature of the Bible, and the whole context of Job is here. He was a very righteous man who was living for God, doing everything that God asked him to do, and all kinds of massively devastating things happened to the most massively important people in his life. He lost all his finances, he lost all his kids, he lost everything, and he did question and struggle and ask God, why is this, why is this, why is this? And if you go and read Job, God comes back to Job and says, do you, who do you think you are? Did, were you with me when I created the world? Were you around when I did this? And, and then he says to Job, friends, though, who came to Job and said, Job, you must be in sin. Bad things wouldn't happen to good people. You must be in sin. You, you must have did something wrong. 
And Job the whole time said, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I've been obeying God. I've been following God. I've been listening to God. And they, they go on and on and say, you can't, Job. God doesn't do this to people. If you were really righteous, you wouldn't have massively bad things happen to the most massively important things in your life. Why would God do this, is what they were saying. His wife even told him to curse God and die, but Job did not. And at the end of Job, go back and read it, God said to Job's friends at the end, go talk to Job and let Job offer sacrifices for you because Job remained righteous through the whole thing. Job says to us that there, there, there is a context of the scripture where things do happen. But another reason, and probably the most important reason, why we should be very careful how we read Psalm 91 is in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was, in the, was sent into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, there's one verse of scripture that Satan quoted to Jesus. And it comes from Psalm 91. And what Satan quoted to Jesus was, go ahead, jump off the temple. God's angels will protect you. Not a, not, 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 you won't have your toe stubbed at all. Satan knows Psalm 91, and he, and he knows it very well. And he must think that this is so important, because that's the one verse of Scripture that he quoted even to Jesus, and he thought, hey, if I can get Jesus to believe that nothing bad should happen to him, then I win. And if he thought that that was the temptation, and that was the verse that could throw Jesus off, and that's what he tossed at him, He's going to try to toss it at us, too. He's going to try to, to say to you, see, can you really trust God? Is God really your source of hope? Is God really a shelter? Is God really a refuge? Is he really faithful to you? Will he really keep his promises to you? Because look at your life right now. It's a mess. There's chaos everywhere. You've got problems everywhere. It's not true what God says. God isn't a shelter for the Almighty. Satan tried to use that on Jesus, and he quoted it to him. But the Bible says that, that, that and Jesus did not fall for it, and neither should we. Just look at Joseph's life in the Old Testament. Joseph did everything he was supposed to do. He gets lied about. He gets cast into prison. And years and years and years and years go, years go, where he is in trouble. And at the end of his life, when he, when, he, when he gets a big perspective, he had, he had no idea what God was doing. He had no idea what God was doing. Some of you might be just so grasping, God, just give me some idea of what you're doing. God doesn't always do that for you. He may give you absolutely no idea what he's doing. Joseph had, for years, no idea what God was doing, but at the end, he was able to look back at his life, and he said, hey, to his brothers, who they thought, now that Joseph's somebody, they're going to kill us. God, Joseph says to his brothers, hey, you meant it for evil to me, but God meant it for good. The, the subtle hurdle that we have to overcome when you read Psalm 91 is this idea that just everything, we want everything to go well for us. We want to believe that we have to understand everything. We, we want to believe that nothing really bad can happen to us. And that even if something really bad happens to us, we would have some understanding of why it happened to us that way. And God does not give us that guarantee in anyway. But he uses these things. The source of hope is God. So 
But the call of Psalm 91 is to trust God. The whole call of the Bible is to trust God. So what's our specific help then? What's our specific help? In verses 14 through 16, the whole psalm changes. There's three different speakers in Psalm 91. The last speaker is God. It's like an oracle from God himself, and he says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And here's this promise. Verse 15 says, when he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. When we read the Bible, we, we, we aren't to read into the Bible, but we do read through the Bible, which means Jesus himself said all the Bible was written for him. He, he's in, in, when he's on the road to Emmaus, he says to the guys he's walking with, hey, let me show you from the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis and the prophets and all the way through, that it's all about me. And Psalm 91 is telling us about Jesus. We read not into the Bible, but we read through the Bible. We cannot know the end. We were on vacation this year, and we stopped it in Dayton, Ohio, at the National Museum of the Air Force, which is five massive hangars filled with every airplane from the beginning of time to the end. And you just, it's a mile and a half walk through all these hangars. And so we, we were in a rush, so we walked all the way to the end and saw even stuff about you know, rockets and stuff, and we, we came back, and I missed the section of the early airplanes. So I went back into the early airplanes, you know, and I don't, you, don't, you don't walk into this early airplane part and say, wow, how, how are they ever going to fly these things? Uh, after you saw everything that's just taken place in the future, after you saw these massive jets, you cannot go back to the beginning and look at the Wright Brothers airplane and say, huh, this ain't going to be a good idea. You, you just can't do it. Because you know what's taking place. It's the same way when we read the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament, we see what God's saying, but we can't just stay there. We know what's taking place. We, we know the end of the rest of the story. And he says, when, I, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. This is a promise. You want to know how God cares for you? You want to know how God cares for us so much, the way we really see it, the most massively way that we see that God cares for us is how Jesus went through trouble for us. It says, when he calls to me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. Jesus held fast to God in love. But the angels... The Bible says Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to get him off the cross, but he didn't do it. He loved us so much that he went through the trouble. He felt every nail. He felt every thorn. He felt every shame for us that we deserved. But in the garden... When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying out to God, God, if, if, if it be your will that this cup pass for me, let this, I, if there's some other way, give me some other way. And Jesus said, God said, this is the way. I, I will be with you. He sent his angels 
to comfort him. After he was tempted in the wilderness, he sent his angels to comfort him. God let Jesus go through the trouble. Jesus went through the trouble for us, and because Jesus went through the trouble for us on the cross, we don't suffer the wrath of God on us. Jesus was our substitute. We, we have now his righteousness. Colossians 3, 23 says, For you have died. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, Jesus went through what you deserved, but he covered you. It was his blood that covered you. You didn't receive the wrath of God. Jesus did. God let it, the Father let it all come on Jesus, and Jesus willingly went through the trouble so that we could have life. And he says, for you have died in Colossians 3, 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is how we know we're sheltered. We're sheltered because of the gospel. We know that God's wings are over us because our life as Christians is now hid in Christ. Jesus suffered all the trouble, all the pestilence, all the danger, all the hardship of the cross, everything that we deserved, Jesus got instead of us. And because of that, God helped him in trouble, he will help us in trouble. Because it says in Romans chapter 8, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, if God the Father let Jesus suffer all the pestilence and all the danger and all the trouble for us so that we could be brought into Christ, if he didn't spare his own son, do you think he's not going to take care of you? Do you think he's not going to cover you in the shelter of his wings? Do you think he's not going to care for you? It is true. It's absolutely true what Psalm says. But how do we really understand it? In Luke chapter 21, what does it really mean? Luke chapter 21, an amazing verse, says this. Jesus is talking about all these struggles that are happening. And he says this. He says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hate. I mean, listen to all this stuff. You're, you're gonna be, so your relatives are going to turn you in. Some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. What? You're going to get killed. You're going to be despised by your family. Some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated, but not a hair of your head will perish. How is, how is that possible? By your endurance, you will gain your lives. It's because we are in Christ. The real us is protected. This outer shell of ours, we will have trouble. Massively bad things will happen and can happen to the most massively important things in your life. And if the most massively important things are to, of your life are the most important, you'll end up bitter, you'll be spiritually broken. But if God is the most important thing, even above the massively important things, and God is the center, God is your focus, even when all these other things happen, not a hair of your head will perish because the real you, the real you will know and will endure and you will persist in faith because you'll know the love of God. In, in the 1950s, Jim Elliott and 
his friends were martyred. And Elizabeth Elliot wrote the book about their life, and she titled it, the story of how they were killed, these five missionaries, she titled it, The Shadow of the Almighty. She knew what she was doing. She knew very well that people would say, how, how can you say that? You were only married three years and about a couple months. How, how could you say that after your husband was killed savagely and his friends, how can you make the title of the story of his life under the shadow of the Almighty? Psalm 91 is about all God's goodness to us. How, how could that be true? But she did because she realized that the real Jim survived. She realized that the, the real truth of her life was not Jim, it was God was the most important thing to her. And as their story continued years later, 1996, the sons of some of them went back and talked to the people and heard the story. And what they found out, Nate Saint said, he, he wrote this. He goes, as the killers described their recollections, it occurred to me how incredibly unlikely it was that the Palm Beach killing took place at all. It is an anomaly that I cannot explain outside of divine intervention, which means in all human-speaking terms, there was no reason why they would even kill those five missionaries. The only reason why those missionaries were killed because they were protected under the shadow of God's almighty wings and his sovereign will for them and his love for them was to let them be killed. So that thousands and thousands of people have given their life for missions and thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ because of the testimony of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the rest of them. It was God's love for them and his protective care for them that he allowed them to be killed. But we, we need to help with this. That's the specific help as Jesus did this for us. But even more specifically, the only way you're going to really get this, and we're really going to get this, is that every day when you wake up, when all the troubles that you're dealing with, all the situations, is that we do what it says in verse 21 of Luke 22. This will be, he says, settle it therefore in your minds. We have to actively take it into our brains, the promises of God. Psalm 91 is a promise of God. If you read scripture this week, and you're going through a difficult time, and you can just read it, and it's good, and it can just go away. But you've got to read it and grab a promise from God, a specific truth of God for that, and apply it to your life. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the reason that we can go through trouble because he went through trouble for, for us, and if God didn't spare Jesus, he's not going to let anything happen to us that is outside of his sovereign will. But we have to hold on to his very specific promises in Scripture and claim them and take them to our brains. So this week, as you wonder, why does God do this? Trust God by not taking your eyes off of Jesus and his work on the cross and take very specific promises of God to your mind and ask God to work it deeply into your heart. Because this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope 
in him. And take the fence post of your life and put that shim in it. Put some concrete in it. And say, God, let me believe this and help me to see this to be true.